Welcome to Ill-Equipped History, where two best friends tell you something about history. I don't know who gave us permission to do that, but we just decided to. Yeah, we don't need permission. Yeah. So I'm Morgan, your host for this evening, joined by my lovely co-host, Emily. Hey, y'all. <laughs> okay, I am laughing for a reason, by the way. I almost <laughs> went straight into the skit like a dumbass. <laughs> We've done this 40 times. <laughs> oh, bless it. I know. Bless uh, it. How are you doing today? I am. I am doing good. I beat my son in Mario Kart again today, but he was still happy about it. We were just, you know, it, my daughter thinks that we're just like, girl team so <laughs> and then my husband came home from work and we were having like family mario kart time. oh that's so fun i love that yeah it, it's a lot of fun we were all piled up in my son's bedroom just like yeah. like four children <laughs> <laughs> that's so much fun oh it is Cute how are moment. you i'm good hanging in there nothing new to report <laughs> Same same shit, different day? Yes. I will say, the entire district is hoping it snows next week. It is going to get cold as shit. My yeah. mother informed me of that today, because I am still living under my rock. So Yeah, the low for next Tuesday is one. One Too low. degree Fahrenheit. Too low. <laughs> I don't like that. No, I don't either. So we're hoping it snows like Monday... And then it stays frozen until Thursday. <laughs> Which Just go be... on a Friday. Yeah. I mean, is it ideal for my job and like all the stuff I need to do? No, but snow days. <laughs> Wait, but you're coming in this weekend. So what if you can't go home on Monday? That's the thing I'm a little nervous about. So I may like leave early Monday um, to try that's, to beat the that's snow. That's fair. Or... Stay. <laughs> Stay until Thursday. <laughs> Listen, you know the hill in my neighborhood. If it snows, we're stuck. Yeah. There's one way in and one way out of this neighborhood, and you have to climb a literal small mountain. So if if it snows, we're it doesn't matter how many four-wheel drive vehicles you have. If you don't have traction, you don't have traction. Yeah. You That's... don't want to yeet yourself down there. <laughs> no. Not that big-ass hill. That's no. not fun. I have seen it done before. This girl topped that bitch at like 30. <laughs> it just, her car, it looked like like professional skiers, but in a car. That's and very She impressive. hit the ditch at the bottom and we were all like, what did you expect? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> so I guess I'm going to the grocery store for my milk, bread, and eggs on Sunday. Yes. Go ahead and prepare for that. Yeah. Milk, bread, and eggs. Milk. <laughs> Gotta make my milk sandwiches. <laughs> hey, you can make French toast. I was about to say, in all honesty, you could make a shit ton of French toast, but I don't know. that. Like, let's just buy... We're going to be stuck in the house for who knows how long. Let's buy the most, the most perishable items that we can find. One of which has Not to be cooked before you eat it. Yes. I mean, I guess if it's cold enough, you could just stick it outside. Some of Nick's family up north, 
uh, we brought beer over to their house for like a dinner party or whatever. Um, his family's from New Hampshire and they were like, I'll just put it in the outside fridge. And me being of Southern middle class was like looking for a refrigerator and they just meant the front porch. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, (laughs) okay. I'll just set it here. Free refrigeration. Yes. I was like, okay, where's the fridge? I don't see it. <laughs> They're like, no, just put it in the snow. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, got it. Got it. What snow? What is that? I ain't yeah, seen I no snow. Literally, it snowed while we were there because we flew up there the day after Christmas. It started to snow. All of us that were from Tennessee were like plastered to the windows. Like, oh my God, it's so pretty. And everyone's like, yeah, it's (laughs) snow. I mean, recently, the past couple years, like when it snowed, it's been like devastating snow. That leaves me trapped in my, my dwelling for weeks at a time. Yeah. Other than that, like no snow. It's either yeah. like barely a spit in the snow or catast- catastrophe. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I feel like we used to get more consistent snow, but it mm-hmm. was just like meh, and then it was gone the next day. And then here recently, it's like we can't get out of our houses. We can't drive down the road. People are wrecking. Well, the moment it starts snowing, even raining down here, people just start wrecking. I don't yeah. know what's going on. I'll never forget it was the day after your bachelorette party and we were up here in the Nashville area and it started snowing, but it wasn't sticking. It was basically just powder. Again, like the, it yeah. was not icy. I think it was still above freezing. I think it was like 33 or 34 degrees It Fahrenheit. was like right at it, just cold enough for it to actually like snow. But it wasn't sticking and we were driving from Murfreesboro to Nashville and we passed by like 11 or 12 cars on the side of the interstate that just went into the ditch. Like It's like the moment they see the snow, they like white knuckle the steering wheel and just jerk it to one side screaming. Yeah. Like, why? Like, it wasn't un- that bad. No. No. Lou did make me drive, though. I was very pregnant and we were trying to go get massages. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And Lou was like, I can't do this. I'm like, well, you're not killing me and my unborn child. So yeah. No, I remember you telling out. us that. She was like, nope, you got to do it. And you're like, all right. That's fair enough. Look, if you if you know you're one of those drivers, please be responsible and give the wheel to someone else. Yeah. Or pull off. Unnecessary. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should probably talk about our topic. Yeah. We're almost, we're about 10 minutes in. Let's, let's start jumping into our... Actually, I'm right. <laughs> Two Neolithic hunters sit around a campfire. Wolves howl in the distance. Those howling beasts scare me, Dirt. Why do they all have to scream like that? Oh, they're not that scary, Branch. There's been some sweet ones that have been coming around the camp lately. What? Monsters in the camp? How can anyone let this happen? They're not that scary. They're just looking for food. Some of them will even let you pet them. Pet them? Are they, you know, soft? Sort of. I do feel good when I pet them. I don't know what happens. But these beasts are good hunters. We're thinking about grabbing some of the pups to raise. Is that a good idea? 
Eh, who knows? But the pups are really cute. I don't know why his name being Dirt and Branch really threw me off, but it was super cute. <laughs> I didn't, I couldn't think of any good Neolithic human names. <laughs> it was probably just like, I don't know. Ugg. Yeah. Berg. Ugg. <laughs> so, Emily, we are talking about a very unique subject today. Mm-hmm. We are going into... A field that I am not super familiar with. We are going into genetics and biology and archaeology a little bit. Okay. We are going to talk about the domestication of animals. That's really cool. Honestly, I've... <laughs> okay. I'm going to sound real crazy for a second. Not that I don't already sound crazy every week on this podcast. But I need to take notes because I'm trying to get a damn raccoon. I'm trying so hard and I want a fox and uh, I've heard possums are kind of cool, but a raccoon mostly. I just want like all the animals I possibly can mm -hmm. at a minimum a fox and a raccoon. Just Unfortunately, you're going to need at least a couple thousand years. <laughs> Come on. People <laughs> For have domestication. They Yeah, but they're not domesticated. No, I just want to yank one out of the wild. Just well, you just you can go ahead and do that. Okay, no one's stopping you. <laughs> Yoink right out of the tree. <laughs> You're coming home with me. The Mine kids have already now. named it dirt. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this topic was very hard for me to understand because again, I'm not a geneticist. So anytime I read a lot of scientific articles for this, mm -hmm. I read, how many did I read? I read one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight scientific articles written by people much smarter than me about genetics and biology and archaeology. And I didn't really understand a lot of it. I did my best. But once it started getting into like genome sequences, I was like, uh, no, I, I don't comprehend this. I'm sorry. So I'm going to do my best. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, we're not a science podcast. We're a history podcast. So we're just right. Again, with the hand motions that y'all can't see. Like, I need you to see me. She's making, like, circle movements with her hands. We're just, like, we're going to encompass the essence of the science, not... Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm Yeah. Talking. That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So, just so y'all know, uh, before we do a deep dive, I am going to be talking about evolution and natural and artificial selection. Charles Darwin is going to be coming up because he was one of the first scientists to really like dig deep into the the science of evolution and stuff like that. So if that is not something you are interested in hearing about, then you can log off because that's what this yeah. entire episode is going to be about. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bye. Okay, <laughs> bye. We have a Patreon. <laughs> Uh, so for those of y'all that are sticking around, again, going to be talking a lot about evolution because the domestication of animals really is about the evolution of animals to be domesticated for human use. For the most part, not all animals that have been domesticated are for the use of humans explicitly. It's more of they grew, they lived 
in proximity to humans. They relied on humans for food or shelter, and they became domesticated as they lived in proximity to humans. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to... I couldn't really go in like a like chronological order with this, so I'm going to be kind of jumping around. So just Emily, as the the auxiliary auxiliary of the audience, if you have any questions, please let me know, and I'll do my best okay. to answer the questions. Okay. <laughs> so starting, we're going to start off with Charles Darwin. He wasn't the first person to discuss evolution and heredit. I don't know how to say it. Like I said, heredity. Maybe that's right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the passing of genes. But his work would go on to change the scientific and non-scientific community. He wrote The Origin of Species in 1859. But he didn't really touch upon heredity at that time because he didn't have that research and that science yet. He knew that it was there, but he didn't have hard evidence yet. So right. as he continued to research animals, he got more science about domestication mm-hmm. and that process. So in 1868, which was nine years later, he wrote The Variation of Plants and Animals Under Domestication. Because plants are also domesticated. I don't talk about plants in this episode because that's a whole other thing. But there are domesticated plants as well as animals. And so that went into more detail about how traits suitable for domestication were passed down hereditarily before genetics was the scientific field. So mm-hmm. this is really our, like humanities, as far as we know, first really big foray into the science and understanding of how genes are passed down between generations and how changes between those generations come about. Okay. So in his research, he discovered that there are select traits identified in domesticated animals that differ from their wild counterparts and ancestors. And I'll be talking about some more of these traits as we go forward. They came up a lot in the research. But this is from Charles Darwin, quote, increased docility and tameness, coat color changes, reductions in tooth size, changes in craniofacial morphology, which a lot of times that meant like shorter snouts. Yeah. And maybe like bigger heads. Alterations in ear and tail form, uh, floppy ears comes up a lot. So as animals yeah. start to being domesticated, they get like floppy ears. More frequent and non-seasonal estrus cycles. So animals, female animals will go into heat more and reproduce more often. Alterations in adrenocorticotropic hormone levels, which is like, I think it's like their, their fight or flight responses. Mm-hmm. Change concentrations of several neurotransmitters, prolongations in juvenile behavior, so they are adolescents longer, and reductions in both total brain size and of particular brain regions. So they get smaller brains as they're domesticated. And those are just some traits. Did they say why those physical traits happened like that? We'll get into it. Okay. No one knows 100% sure. There's... There's a study that was done in the 1950s that may explain why those happened that differs from the popular theory of the time. But I'll go into it in just a little bit. Okay. So we all know like natural selection, what that means is that an animal has to adapt to its environment or it will die. Mm -hmm. There's also something called artificial selection, which is a term that describes unnatural evolution, such as in the form of domestication. Domestication is, again, for the most part, done by humans. Mm-hmm. And artificial selection is only done by humans. It does not occur in nature. Okay. So humans will select an animal 
based on a trait. And then they'll select a breeding pair based on those traits. And then they will breed more animals to convey those traits. Right. That doesn't happen in nature so much. Like the, and it's the natural selection is the animal chooses its breeding mate. Okay. And that doesn't happen with domestication. Right. So many sources I read also refer to domestication as exploitation of animals, which, and that's true, you know, because we domesticated animals in order to obtain resources from them. Yeah. You know, food, fur, milk, labor, whatever that may look like. So animals that we have domesticated, we do exploit them. But some some animals exploit us too, <laughs> which I'll get into. The human population exploded due to, to, due to domestication. It went from about 10 million uh, in like the Neolithic times to almost 7 billion at the time of the article I read. That's an increase of 70,000%. And what was the time span? About 10,000 years. Okay. Damn. 10,000 years and it went up. 70,000%. 70,000%. Dang. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's crazy. Crazy, well, I crazy. Mean, it's not even just like dogs we're talking about because we're talking about like cattle and horses and you know pigs donkeys and pigs and sheep and just being able to to raise the animals to slaughter or you know eggs and other various things instead of being like hunter gatherers Mm -hmm. instead of surviving you're starting to do more thriving exactly and that's what really what was happening is that humans once they're they started agriculture. Mm-hmm. They're moving from that hunter-gatherer-forager phase of human existence into this agricultural phase. And they're like, okay, this is going to be safer if we have our food closer to us. So we don't have to go right. out. It's right here. And then we can like control the population of our food as well. And it's also almost guaranteed because every time you go out to go hunting, you're not guaranteed to get something but if you have five cattle you can plan on you know when to slaughter said cattle and then by then you could always already have a replacement for that cow exactly so it was more of a plan ahead kind of a thing exactly so the domestication of animals helped humans shift like we just said from being hunters and foragers to farmers the active domestication of plants and animals began about 10,000 years ago and has helped cultivate human societies around the globe. And mm-hmm. domestication, it started kind of in one area, but it wasn't the only place where animals were domesticated around the earth. It just really got its, it started in, um, like you said last week, the Fertile Crescent. Yeah. Which is this area in like Western Europe and uh, Eastern Asia, uh, and like around the northern part of Africa, like all of that kind of area that's very fertile, like Mesopotamia, the Mediterranean, all that area that's really good for farming. And as plants and animals were domesticated for agricultural use, they were altered to yield more output and provide more resource, more resources per unit. So animals, again, they started breeding more often or could breed more often. Mm-hmm. They had more young and each animal, like, was able to produce more. Okay. Um, so, like, they cool. had more muscle or fat for eating. They could produce more milk or eggs. And those were traits that were bred over time. 
So besides the dog, the earliest known sites of animal domestication were in Southwest Asia, including goats, cattle, and pigs about 10,000 years ago. Like I said, I'll talk about the dog a lot in just a second. Doggos. (laughs) I was so excited to research so much about dogs. Doggos. Buffalo and cattle were domesticated in India between 8,000 and, 8, and 4,500 years ago. The horse and donkey were domesticated about 5,000 years ago in Central Asia and Egypt, respectively. Chickens were domesticated mm-hmm. about 4,000 years ago in Southeast Asia. And the camel was des- domesticated about 3,000 years ago. Wow. When, when was the cat domesticated? I will talk about the cat because the cat is a unique... Okay unique topic (laughs) yeah i'm trying to figure out how we got from like big ass cats to like well i mean teak's pretty big but like in a different way yes no don't worry we're gonna talk about the cat because the cat is a very unique (laughs) cool contender in the domestication game so scientists have been studying genetic markers and capabilities for domestication in animals for a long time again charles darwin really kind of started this conversation and he he started identifying different genetic differences between domesticated and wild animals Um, and he talked about genomes and phenotypes so genome is the sequence that dictates Mm -hmm. how a trait will be expressed right um, within the gene the phenotype is the observable expression of that trait. So, like, for example, your genome says that you will have brown hair. The phenotype is you have brown hair. Okay. The recent focus of this of this genetic research includes what specific traits are related to domestication, including, like I said earlier, quote, dramatic coat color variation and depigmentation, floppy and small ears. This is pedamorphosis with increased tameness and docility, and I think that's just, like, adolescent animals being like calmer mm-hmm. and more readily around humans uh, changes in craniofacial morphology reduction in brain size again like the shortening of snouts reduce reducing of the brain i've already said all of this stuff but it um to finish the quote may represent a so-called domestication syndrome that is observed across multiple mammalian domestic species so, and that came up a few times in the articles I was reading that the traits that resulted from thousands of years of domestication result in mm-hmm. what's called a domestication syndrome. And it's just a way to describe how domesticated animals look and are different from their wild counterparts. You know what I keep thinking about is um, how you said the adolescents are like calmer and are more comfortable around humans. I just think about like humans and technology and Mm -hmm. like humans a hundred years ago, technology was just not, if you handed them an iPhone right now, I think their head would explode. But (laughs) as every um, generation goes on, every generation gets more and more comfortable with, you know, they, it's like they adapt. It's, Mm -hmm. there was no way at six years old, I could be playing Mario Kart like my son is right now there's just Mm -hmm. i wasn't that good with it but it's just seeing the generations change even on something as not that technology's not minute but Mm -hmm. you know they're born with more knowledge than our grandparents were about things like that yeah no and it's it's really interesting to see like how like and not just animals, but humans as well. Like each generation has adapted to something else. Yeah. And something new in the environment. 
the one of the articles I was reading states that there isn't so much a mark of pure domestication. Instead, it's a series of traits and characteristics that lend itself to an animal's tolerance of humans. And it's here I want to kind of distinguish the difference between being tame and being domesticated because some people might think that they're interchangeable and they're not. Mm-hmm. So, quote, taming is conditioned behavioral modification of an individual whereas quote domestication is a permanent genetic modification of a bred lineage that leads to among other things a heritable predisposition towards human association so essentially being tame is something that you learn okay or an animal learns and then being domesticated is a result of years and years and years of selected breeding so you tame the lion but you've mm-hmm. domesticated the dog in general, yeah. the whole yes. species. You've domesticated the dog. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't wild dogs out there running right. around doing whatever, but they are or a domesticated wolves. species. Yes. Lions are not domesticated. You might be able to tame. It's like the opposite. You might be right. able to tame one or two of them, but they're still wild animals. We've domesticated the dog, but there still might be a wild one or two running around. Right. Okay. And there's further elaboration in that not all domesticated animals are necessarily tame. Like, you ever met a bull or a rooster? Like, they're not tame. They don't want anything to do with humans. But they are technically domesticated. Yeah. And animals can be tame, but not domesticated. Like, if you hand raise a wild animal. Mm-hmm. animals bred in captivity are not domesticated either because they're not being bred to exhibit specific traits to be exploited Got by it. people, like with farm animals. Usually animals in captivity are being bred to ensure the survival of their species, which is different than being domesticated. So I would have a tamed raccoon. Yes. Okay. You would need many years to have an actual domesticated animal. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'll take a tame <laughs> raccoon and a tame fox. There you go. I have, I have a little more information about the foxes here in a second. There's a study done about foxes. What does the fox say? Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> so during my research, I saw this one article describing there's different pathways to domestication. There's three different pathways. So the first one is called commensal, the commensal pathway, and that's a road to domestication that emerged from animals being drawn to human settlements. So these are usually pests like mice. There are mm-hmm. breeds um, of domesticated mice, and it's not because humans were purposefully domesticating the mice, but the mice were drawn to human settlements mm-hmm. to feed on like waste and okay. to like live in the homes and houses and stuff. And they br- they they're going for the trash. Yes, and mm-hmm. they reproduced alongside humans, and they ended up becoming tame, or domesticated, sorry. But dogs are, and dogs and cats are kind of considered in this pathway as well. And I'll get okay. a little more into dogs and cats. I go into a lot of detail about each of them. But it's they were not chosen by people so much. They started coming into human settlements. The prey pathway way is intentional selection of the animal by humans in order to bring food closer to people and that's usually like large medium to large herbivores like cows and sheep okay and then the directed pathway is an intentional domestication of an animal for use like horses and donkeys so originally horses and donkeys were just food animals but then humans started realizing oh we can use them for labor they're strong as shit (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're fast. Well, horses are fast. Yeah. So we can start using them for that. And so then uh, the directed pathway is like, okay, they're not just being used for food. Like they have a specific use that we're going to breed. Could you imagine being the first person to look at a horse and be like, I bet you I can't hop up on that. <laughs> <laughs> and he get kicked into the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, like Team Rocket blasting off into the shot. (laughs) Pokemon just, what do they say? But I just know they go blink at the end. (laughs) You've got to, you got to know that was a drunk bet. They were drunk on that, that fermented fruit. And they were like, hey, dirt, I bet you can't jump on that horse right there. And Dirt was like, hold my fruit and watch this. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the when humans started domesticating animals on a large scale, it was during the Neolithic era. Okay. Technically, it's the, the terminal Pleistocene era. So I think that's like at the end of the Ice Age, uh-huh. I think. But that's just what it's called. Uh, but that's specifically within the Fertile Crescent. Like I mentioned earlier, so that's Mesopotamia, the Taurus Mountains, and then the Mediterranean, not including Egypt. Okay. And then the Neolithic Revolution was the emergence of agriculture and societies. Okay. Like way long ago. like Again, like 10,000 years ago. So humans had been hunter-gatherers for over 100,000 years, but the Fertile Crescent had so many agricultural opportunities, it made sense for humans to start settling down and start developing the land and start developing their populations. So I'm just going to go over a couple animals really quick. Um, I just thought this information was interesting. So the dog, or Canis familiaris, uh, was domesticated about 15,000 years ago. That's so long. <laughs> it's so long ago. So long ago. Specific breeds began emerging around three thousand years ago around the Central Europe and Asia location, and dogs were used for guarding food and hunting. The pig or Sus domesticus, it was domesticated around ten thousand five hundred years ago. Specific breeds emerged during. The- the Neolithic times in, mul- in multiple different areas, and they were used for food. I'm assuming they domesticated pigs from wild, like, hogs and boar? Yes. How do you catch one of those? I don't know, but I do talk about uh, pigs a little bit They're in more so detail. They're so mean. They are mean. I don't know. It's kind of like the same thing that we've been talking about. Like, they found some that were not quite as asshole-ish, and they're like, all right, you're mine now. Have you ever seen videos of a wild boar coming up on somebody? They will fight you for no reason. Mm, no, they're t- they terrify me. I don't ever want to be in proximity Mm-mm. of a wild boar. Me ever. either. Nope. Nope. That's one animal I will not pet. <laughs> I think I'd almost rather have a bobcat than a bo- than a boar. Honestly. Yeah. I feel like I could yeah. fight a bobcat. <laughs> You're like one of those guys. Like I could fight a kangaroo. I- <laughs> My shit wrecked <laughs> by a bobcat. <laughs> and they're 
smaller than my dogs, but like they're feisty. They're wildcats. Yeah. Have you ever the heard you one? Up. They may not be a scream in the woods. I'm sure I have. Oh my god, they sound like a demonic presence just coming from the woods. I we had to Google it because yeah. I was legitimately terrified. <laughs> Audience, you need to look it up. Just look up a bobcat screaming. It's bone chilly. You're welcome. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay, sorry. I'll quit derailing you. <laughs> oh, it's fine. The horse, or Equus caballus, it was domesticated around 5,000 years ago, and specific breeds began emerging around 2,800 years mm. ago in Central Asia. And they were used for food, transportation, yeah. and labor. Is that where the term, like, equestrian comes from, I'm assuming? From the... Um, like, the scientific uh, I can't remember. Term? The family name. Yeah. I think it's the family name. Just like um, dog is Canis familiaris. Okay. Like canine. Canine. Yeah. And then the cat, Felis sylvestris catus. It was domesticated. And then there's, this is the current research. There's differing research for a long time, but this is what the current research says about 9,700 years ago okay. in the Fertile Crescent region. Specific breeds began emerging less than 300 years ago. That was not that long ago. It was not. And the table I got this information from did not give a specific use for cats, which I'll get into. <laughs> so as farming became more successful and as more of a reliable food source, people had to start taking measures to protect these lands. Mm -hmm. They would create communities and guard those communities. And those communities had needs that people would then fulfill. And now you have emergence of jobs and trade and commerce. And now you have the beginnings of human society. Okay. With this came the domestication of farm animals that had natural predispositions to lend themselves to domestication, like with cattle and sheep. These natural predispositions include following the alpha of a herd. So people would capture the alpha and then the rest of the herd would follow. Being able to live in close quarters with mm -hmm. each other, like in a pen. Natural temperaments, like they're just cows and sheep are just kind of chill. Chill, yeah. Able to eat a lot of different kinds of foods. Uh, they grow really quickly, they mature really quickly, and they would breed within human proximity. And that's another really important thing because some animals will not mm. breed or mate with people around. And those animals do not lend themselves to domestication. How do they figure that out? I don't know. Just staring at them all day? I guess. I... And they're like, why don't you mate? Do Fuck you fucking sheep. And now <laughs> you kiss. <laughs> Imagine like someone like lugging like a giant sheep. Like, come on, it's time for your kissy kissy. Do <laughs> just do it. Do it. <laughs> Breed. I got you. A I girl. do feel weird for. Okay, sorry. I do feel say I feel weird saying breed so I much. I don't. I know it's there's nothing wrong with the word, but just saying it so much, I'm like breed, breed, breed breed yeah it, it feels after a while it just feels wrong maybe we should come up with a code name for it or something fucking <laughs> i was gonna say bumping uglies <laughs> okay we'll go with that okay so then the animals who display these characteristics were selected for bumping uglies and thus genetic code for these traits is carried on to their offspring <laughs> I wish 
wish this was in a scientific journal. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Could you imagine oh, giving a dissertation on a thesis and being like, and this was selected to bump uglies with this one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny i would read everything by that author yes i would ever. too. even though i didn't understand everything they said be like i'm gonna read this author all the time me too i would too okay so now the moment you've been waiting for Ooh. i'm gonna talk about the domestication of dogs doggos yay man's best friend so dogs were the first organisms to be domesticated by humans even before plants yeah, fuck them plants. We like the fluffy puppies. <laughs> yep. Again, 15,000 years ago. The next animals to be domesticated weren't done until 5,000 years later. I'm just looking up a little. Okay. The oldest Egyptian pyramid was in 2630 BCE. So that's only like 4,000 years ago. Yeah. For, per, for perspective, yeah. Humans were still hunter-gatherers at this point. Every, I mean, no wonder they're man's best friend. They've always been there. Yeah. So they really lent themselves to be companions, guards, and hunters alongside humans. So there's two intertwined processes of dog domestication. So there were wolves who started to get used to human presence. Mm -hmm. They would enter areas where humans had inhabited to pick off remains or injured animals from different hunts mm -hmm. and then as time went on the wolves would notify the humans of invaders at night so it started like naturally and i don't think it was like let's warn the the humans but like the wolves would be in close proximity and then they would bark or howl at other animals or humans that were croaching in on the territory well, I mean, I guess if you think about it, if you are a, a group of people and you're moving about and you're leaving, you know, things that could be useful to the wolves and the wolves are kind of following along with you, they would see mm -hmm. a, an interest in keeping you safe as well. So exactly. If, if they wanted to keep getting the goods, you have to be alive. And they right. probably learned that. Wolves are smart as hell. Yeah, They are very smart. And then because of this, over time, humans began direct interaction with these wolves who were pulled towards the humans. So the humans would start taking wolf pups to be, to start, you know, like raising them and all that. Yeah. And to socialize really early with people. And unintentionally, these wolves began being chosen for characteristics of tameness, their ability to be around people and less likely to run off. Then these wolves were bred together and the desirable traits were embedded into the genetic code of what are now dogs. So this this affinity to be close to people yeah. is in dogs' genes. <laughs> well, they I mean, originally they're pack animals, so... They see you as their pack and you're their people. Yeah, absolutely. And then dogs began being bred for more narrow traits and like specific skill sets. Mm -hmm. And that's when different dog breeds began emerging between three and 4,000 years ago. So like we have dogs who are ratters. We have dogs who are good for swimming. We have dogs who 
have really fluffy coats that adapt yeah. them to the cold. You know, all kinds of dogs. And so it, it started 15,000 years ago. So for about 11,000 years, they were all roughly the same. Obviously, wolves in different areas look different and are different. Mm-hmm. But the more specific, like, on-purpose breeds started happening around three to 4,000 years ago, right? Yeah. Okay. I assume they're probably relatively wolfish mm-hmm. i mean they had those characteristics of like the the ears started getting floppier and the the nuzzles the muzzles started getting shorter mm-hmm. probably like less like less dense fur depending on the region they were in but um overall yes like i think they were relatively wolfish and then they're like okay we need dogs for this specific task this dog is really good at this and so is this one so boom we're going to create a new breed Okay. So there were also dogs in the Americas. Um, They were believed to have already been domesticated from Asia and came into the Americas through the the land bridge between Alaska and Russia as humans came into the Americas as Mm -hmm. well. So identifying where dogs as a whole was a bit more difficult. The consensus for a while indicated somewhere in Eurasia, but new evidence suggests there's two different domestication events happening in East Asia and Western Europe. And then as trade began happening between the two, the East Asian dogs ended up replacing the European dogs, which is also really ironic because later on, the European dogs would replace the American dogs. Oh, okay. And there's also evidence that there's a wolf breed in Siberia who's additionally domesticated separately. And that's where we get Arctic dogs, like Huskies and Malamutes and all that. My fave. But the article I was reading, or one of the articles I was reading about this said, um, tracking the, quote, paleogenomics of dog domestication is, quote, sufficiently confusing. <laughs> um, no one really I knows. I know. I'm doing my best. So when the articles were re- going into a lot more about the genes and stuff, I was like, I have no idea what any of this means. I could write it down and I could say it back, but I could not tell you what it meant. So I was just like... I'm not going to include that. If I have the, the articles linked. If you want to read more about biology, you can. <laughs> so American dogs, like I said, were virtually replaced by European dogs when the Americas were colonized, both by breeding and disease, kind of like what happened with the people living here. Mm-hmm. The European humans and dogs brought diseases over that wiped out the indigenous populations of both. And then I also came across something that said there's differences between in brain tissue between dogs and wolves, suggesting there's a difference in the genes for aggression between the two. So again, like over time, over 15,000 years, dogs, their brain is literally like, we're not going to be as aggressive to humans as wolves are. Yeah. So. So that's kind of what I have on like just the early domestication of dogs. Now we're going into cats. Kitty cats kitty cats uh i didn't know this cats are the most popular pet on earth i didn't know that i thought dogs were well i could almost see that because they're more self-sufficient yeah i mean when we go on vacation we have to find someone to watch the dogs which is typically my parents but like our cat's an inside slash outside cat so we just kick him outside give him plenty of food have someone swing by if we're gone for more than two days like yeah he's fine 
So he's fine. Yeah. It's easier. And with so many people living in big cities, having say if we had River and lived in like an apartment, she would have been miserable. She needed her like runtime. Whereas a cat, I mean, even if it is like a very high energy cat, you can deal with that within like an apartment space. An apartment. Yeah. No, you're right. It does make sense. So how are they domesticated? We don't eat them and we don't rely on them to clothe us or guard us. So why, why were cats even domesticated in the first place? So there was a thought for a while that it was believed that the ancient Egyptians started domesticating cats about 3,600 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, And they worshiped cats. However, archaeologists found a burial of a human and a cat from 95 to 9,700 years ago in Cyprus, to which cats are not native. It is an island. So this showed that the cat and the human had some kind of special relationship to warrant the cat to be buried with the human. I know. (laughs) I know. Kitty cat. So genetic research shows that domestic cats are descended from a very specific wild cat in the Middle East. It is called Felis Sylvestris Libica. Or Libica. Sylvester? I know. <laughs> ah, Sylvester. Okay. <gasps> That's a African wildcat? Yep. And this is, I'm about to get into it. So F.S. Libica cats are genetically identical to house cats. And house cats do not share genome sequences with any other types of wild cats. So it's concluded that all domestic house cats evolved from this one wild cat in the Middle East. Well, I mean, it just looks like a regular-ass cat. How big is this cat? I think it's about the size of a regular a cat. cat. Yeah. So they didn't change. They're so stubborn. They didn't change. They were just like, we don't want to hunt anymore. <laughs> so You have no idea how right you are. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I am who I am. I'm not going to do a damn thing for you. Look how cute I am. I will allow you to pet me twice, maybe thrice a day. And and you're going to feed me and love me and worship me. Yep. And we will gladly do it because kitties are great. Yes, we will. (laughs) So cats were domesticated later than dogs were and they didn't start being domesticated until humans had already started establishing settlements okay again they came from wild cats but they're like they're not really suitable for suitable for domestication so they're obligate carnivores which means that they have to, they can really only eat meat okay cats can't really eat they're not omniv- omnivorous like even dogs need like some vegetables and grains and other types of variety but cats almost explicitly can only eat meat so that's hard. Like, it's really hard mm-hmm. to domesticate an animal that eats just meat. The cats are very solitary and they're very territorial. Again, not suitable for domestication. And cats are not really trainable to complete specific tasks like dogs. Like, not even Mausers. Like, they're not even the best Mausers. Like, the article I was reading said that terriers and ferrets, which are domesticated polecats, are better options as Mausers than cats are. Um <laughs> Uh, go back to my mouse in the bathtub story. <laughs> You're right. You're right. He was just having a good time. He wasn't going to actually yeah. kill it. He just wanted to destroy its soul, just, just I to guess. play with it. Yeah. Just fucking... No, and like, 
And you can't train cats, again, like, you can't breed them for specific purposes like dogs. So, why were they domesticated in the first place? Evidence points to cats wanting to be near humans due to food and shelter. Okay. Moose musculus domesticus, or the domesticated house mouse, which I love saying that, house mouse. House mouse. It's another animal that domesticated itself to live off the waste of humans. So again, this was not an intentional domestication by humans. Okay. The mice were, they couldn't really compete with wild mice or other wild mice. So they started hanging around closer to human settlements and kind of evolving to be close to humans. Okay. So cats probably use these mice as an easy food source. And cats continue to stick around but mostly left to fend for themselves. So their hunter instincts were not bred out of them like in dogs. Right. And cats are still really good hunters, like even like house cats are. When they choose to be, yes. <laughs> right. Again, when they choose to be. And cats are still, like you said earlier, they're pretty self-sufficient. Yeah. And like you have feral cat colonies all over the place. And like feral cats, they are house cats, but they yeah. can survive just fine. Well. Like in the wild. And even like if you're talking about just the temp temperament differences if Marin is not touching someone she is having a bad time in her life she Mm -hmm. wants to love and she will literally lay on top of parker if she's not feeling loved enough Mm -hmm. i will not see teak for 24 hours and he just comes Mm -hmm. out from under the bed like you gonna feed me now like that would be great (laughs) so he's like i will allow a pet and I will swat you with a claw <laughs> as affection. And then I feed yep. him and he goes back to whatever he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's cats. Yeah. And of course there's differences, you know, like yeah. I know there's a lot of cat, cat havers that are like, my cat is the sweetest little cinnamon roll. It, it's completely useless, which that does happen. But overall cats as a species are pretty self-sufficient. So what you're saying is that regardless of whether they are sweet or mean, they're still just useless. Basically, yeah. They're just there for accessory and, and whatever. I mean, really. Like, and I was even brought up in one of the articles I was reading, like, there's not really a reason that humans would select cats for domestication, but cats began inhabiting human settlements, and mm-hmm. they were just like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. And the cat essentially domesticated itself through natural selection. <laughs> well, and you know, going back on the mouser thing, we've had, a, grew, we both grew up in rural, a rural town. If you yes. talked about a barn cat, you knew that that was not an indoor cat. That was a cat that lived in the barn. And because it lived in the barn, it felt the need to go after the mice and stuff in that right. barn. You brought that. Everyone knew if you brought that cat inside, it was not, it was not mousing anymore. It wasn't going to do it. Mm-mm. So you nope. had to, if you wanted it to be a mouser, it you could not bring it in. It was an out. Nope. Th- it was an out there cat. It would get a taste of the good life and be like, why do I have to work for my food anymore? Why do you think I have a twenty-five pound cat? <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything anymore. <laughs> So genetic analysis between house cats and wild cats show that while wild cats show genetic markers for their inhabited regions, house cats are still extremely genetically diverse. So the articles I was reading talk about a genetic bottleneck. So basically, like as breeds are selected over time, like they, the gene pool starts narrowing a lot because you're only breeding for select traits. Right. 
so the gene pool gets a lot less diverse. It creates a literal bottleneck. But cats, they don't, unless, I think I talked about this a little bit later, but unless they're like pedigree cats, cats tend to choose their own mates. Like there isn't like a, perp like with dogs or any other animal, there isn't like a purposeful breeding. Like if a cat is going to breed, it's going to be on accident with a tomcat around the corner, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, yeah. And you're like, shit, now my cat's pregnant. Um, so that's like cats overall, like while they still come from one common ancestor, they're still incredibly genetically diverse. Yeah. Unlike other domesticated animals. So cats began being worshipped in Egypt about 2,900 years ago. Uh, and there is even an Egyptian goddess created named Bastet, uh, who has a, I think she has a cat head. And then cats began spreading through Europe around 2,000 years ago. They knew what they were doing. They're too smart for their own good. To bring up dogs again, dogs are a lot more variable. Like when you think about dogs, they can be from the tiniest chihuahua to the biggest Great Dane. There's huge variability in dogs. Yeah. Because they were bred for specific things. But cats overall, like, yeah, their coats are different, but they're all roughly-ish similar sizes. Yeah, unless you start getting into, like, the savannah cats, which are not completely, like, you know, like, um, the one kind. What am I trying to say? They're, like, part wild cat. Right. They're, um, I think savannah cats are, they come from serval cats. Yes. Because servals are pretty tame, and I think savannah cats descend from them. But they're not, like, the house cats. Exactly. Yeah. They're a different, different kind Is of cat. Is a Maine Coon like that, too? Where they're... No, I think Maine Coon, I didn't see anything about them. I think they're just big old cats. They are hefty. But I didn't see anything about them having a different ancestor. Okay. But, like, they have similar tail sizes, generally. They have same ear shapes. Mm -hmm. Like, they don't have floppy ears. Like, there's some new breeds of cats that have floppy ears. But, again, that's a breed of cat. But, overall, cats don't have floppy oh, ears. Are. They have similar facial structures, you know, yeah. all of that. So one article I was reading posits that if cats are truly domesticated as a main definition of as a main definition of domestication is selected breeding by humans, cats tend to choose their own mates, like I said earlier, with the mm -hmm. exception of pedigree cats. So and additionally, house cats are not genetically different from their ancestor. Also, apparently house cats have longer intestines than wild cats, and Darwin posits that it's because house cats needed to adapt to being fed table scraps. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. However, there are some differences. Like, wild cats tend to be solitary, mm -hmm. uh, with the exception of lions, I think, and cheetahs. But house cats are pretty social. And house cats are tolerant of people, even though they don't always act like it. Tolerance a good word. They, they love us. They just don't want us to know they love us. Yeah. Quote, the modern domestic cat is the product of 11 million years of natural selection in a world free of people and 12,000 years of natural selection in a world increasingly dominated by humanity. End quote. Okay. So that's really all I have about cats. Uh, in essence, they domesticated themselves, which is pretty neat. Uh, so next I'm going to talk about the foxes because there's actually a research study being done to attempt to domesticate foxes. It started in the 1950s in Russia by Dmitry Belyaev. He systematically bred foxes that showed tamer traits. Mm -hmm. 
And through his research, over 40 years demonstrated that the traits emerging with domesticated animals don't have to be selected for. They just started emerging. So these foxes started, they were selected just for tameness and tranquility. Then they started emerging with floppy ears, piebald coats, upturned tails, shortened snouts, and developmental differences. So what they're saying is that, like, you don't have to continuously pick out the, the like, nicer ones. You pick out the ones that will come to you and then keep them. And then a couple generations later, it just kind of happens. That domestication syndrome, quote unquote, starts emerging even though you're not necessarily selecting for those traits. Right. Okay. I was just clarifying for myself. There's actually, I ended up watching a YouTube video about this like a year ago. And I didn't realize it until it came up in my, my research. I was like, oh, I've seen a video on this. I think I have too. It's like a little like mini documentary and he, um, there's this guy, I don't know if it's Dimitri himself or someone else, but talking about the domestication of foxes and like it's a lot more difficult mm-hmm. because foxes don't have, it's like, well, they're basically like a dog and a cat combined in the same body. Why are they so hard to domesticate? But it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, I didn't rewatch the video for this episode, but it's really interesting. So I think it's um like a Vice documentary or something. I'm sure you could look up yeah. more stuff about it, but it was really neat. And um, talking about, like, why foxes are so difficult to domesticate and why people are like, let us have domesticated foxes. <laughs> They're so cute. I know. There is a study looking at differences between wild rabbits and a group of domesticated rabbits, which had only begun being domesticated about 1,400 years ago in France. And there are already significant differences in their genes that I do not understand. It was going on about all these differences, and I was like, okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just know they're different. So basically, they saw that even with barely over a thousand years of domestication, there was already big changes in the genetic structure between wild and domesticated rabbits in this area. Huh. So again, you just need about a thousand years. <laughs> just about a thousand. To have a, a domesticated animal. I can, I can wait it yeah. out. Do you know any vampires? Um, because I'm going to need to, like, <laughs> live that long. <laughs> To domesticate a raccoon. (laughs) Analysis of ancient cattle DNA across Europe, Anatolia, and the Near East, and Anatolia is um, like Turkey-ish, showed that the majority of the population of these cattle came from a small population of female cattle in the Near East and Anatolia before spreading throughout the rest of Europe. So it's like this, like a pretty small population that ended up moving Mm-hmm. and kind of spreading throughout and then human interference also explains the spread of different animal species throughout the world such as with horses which are native to central asia so like humans would bring animals to different areas yeah. like horses are not indigenous to the americas they're actually an invasive species but oh. now we have wild herds of horses running around because humans brought them over i didn't know that Yeah. And additionally, when animals are spread to different areas, they can intermingle with local populations of animals, which further changes the DNA of offspring and makes comparisons between ancient and modern animals very difficult. Because they're like, where the hell did this animal come from? (laughs) I don't know. They like this thing says one thing and this thing says another thing and I can't figure it out. And it's kind of what happened with pigs. Pigs were domesticated about 9,000-ish years ago, but there's a lot of continued involvement between domesticated and wild pigs to the point where the original ancestors for domesticated pigs cannot be traced anymore because the, the DNA is so mixed up. Yeah. 
Pig domestication occurred in two different locations that they can kind of figure out. Uh, China in the Mekong Valley and Anatolia, which again is modern day Turkey. There's research done by Laurent France and Martien Gronin and that they suggest that pig herds were nomadic and as they kind of traveled between locations, they would mate with local boar populations. Okay. And there's this idea that historic farmers would still pick out offspring that looked like pigs from these kind of unions. So eventually there was these genetic islands that made the pig look like a pig, even if a boar was a parent. Oh, okay. And then my last little bullet point, bees. Bees are also domesticated. They're able to live in human-selected environments in close quarters. They are, aren't they? They are. And we utilize bees. We exploit bees for honey. Huh. And people have tried to do that with like cr- crustaceans like lobsters and crabs, but they'll turn cannibalistic if they're kept in tight quarters. So not ideal for domestication. So that is all I have on the domestication of animals. I read a bunch of different research papers and articles and a lot of scientific journals. Um, I'm very proud of myself. I'm proud of you too. I haven't read this many uh, scientific articles since graduate school. (laughs) I didn't think I would ever have to ever again, but here we are. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the articles really quick and then we can move on. So I read Taming the Past, Ancient DNA and the Study of Animal Domestication by David McHugh, Gregor Larson, and Ludovic Orlando. From Wild Animals to Domestic Pets and Evolutionary View of Domestication by Carlos Driscoll, David McDonald, and Stephen O'Brien. The Domestication Syndrome in Mammals, a Unified Explanation Based on Neural Crest Cell Behavior and Genetics. That one was really hard to get through. By, it sounds it. By Adam Wilkins, Richard Rangham, and W. Tecumseh Fitch. Unlocking the Origins and Biology of Domestic Animals Using using Ancient DNA and Paleogenomics by Jillian McHugo, Michael Dover, and David McHugh. The Taming of the Cat by Carlos Driscoll, Juliet Clutton-Brock, and Andrew Kitchener, and Stephen O'Brien. The Evolution of Animal, Animal Domestication by Gregor Larson and Dorian Fuller. The Taming of the Pig Took Some Wild Turns by Elizabeth Panisi. And Invertebrate Domestication Behavioral Considerations by Samuel Gond III and Edward Price. <sighs> Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They were so hard to read because all these people are so smart. <laughs> and I am not. <laughs> I, uh, you're doing better than me because I was researching our next topic uh, yesterday and I was like, Ooh, I'm going to watch a little video. (laughs) And you're over here reading scientific journals. Hey, I watch videos all the time. If I could watch it in a video instead of reading it, I would much rather do that. Yeah, me too. It's just easier. I'm a visual kind of a learner. So like if there's something for me me to watch, it's, yeah. Better if hands-on, but it's like hands-on, visual, and then reading last. So, yeah. And an auditory, like, very bottom. Oh, auditory for me is, like, third. I can't hear anything. So if someone's just, like, if I can't, like, write it down and, like, look at it, if I'm just being told it, I'm never going to remember it. Yeah. Never, ever. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and I do that while I clean. So that's, I retain it. And I listen to 
I listen to podcasts because in audiobooks because I really like it, but it's a lot harder for me to remember what I listened to yeah. than if I had read it. I find that it's easier if I'm listening to like a, a really well done audiobook. It's easier for me to like imagine what's happening. Yeah, during... I have to be able to. I have to be able to see it in my mind. Yeah, to remember it and that kind of brings in the visual aspect that's how you know it's a good book is when you feel like you're in it and like and watching a movie, watch it basically in your minds like a movie yeah i love that yeah so yeah do you have any questions about the domestication of animals um can i still have a raccoon yes okay then I, already, no. I already told you you can I know. it just may not be domesticated uh, can I, I i will take a tame <laughs> raccoon a tame fox a horse, if my HOA will allow me. I don't see why not. I have a chicken coop outside. Where would you... I think a horse needs a bigger space than a chicken coop. I mean, yes. <laughs> I do have, like, a little over an acre. I'll fence in the entire yard. The entire property line can be fenced. And he can run around my house. There you go. Yeah, that'll be fine. I'll get a small one. Yeah. I don't need Yeah, as much. like a little pony. Yeah. Nick will be fine with that, right? Yeah, totally fine. No worries. Yeah, I mean, I've he's come home before and I've like just ripped up the carpet in a room without telling him. So he's used to my antics. <laughs> he's lucky I haven't tore a wall down or something. I know you're planning on it. I want to. I don't know if it's worth it though. I gotta lay. We gotta get <laughs> floors down first. So if we lay mm -hmm. floors, I'm not tearing any down walls. At, like tearing any walls down after that because I'm not about that life. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. do you want to go into our socials? Yeah, we probably should. Um, so you can find us on at Facebook uh, group and page. Ill-Equipped History Podcast group and page. Yeah. Instagram. Instagram.com slash ill-equipped history or at ill-equipped history. TikTok. At ill-equipped history. And we have really funny TikToks. Yeah. And Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash ill-equipped history. Patreon. Um, we have two different tiers. And for the, was it $1 tier, you get a shout out and a sticker. $5 tier, you get those plus bonus content. We have bonus episodes every month. There's some pretty cool ones. We just did one on New Orleans. Yeah. The one before that was uh, Inventions. Inventions. Uh-huh. Random inventions. And then the one before that was... Animals in war. Yes. Different animals that have fought in wars. So if y'all would like... Yeah. And they're pretty wacky. Uh-huh. They're very long. We're a lot... We're very unhinged. We so. are unhinged. <laughs> and if if possible, we like to go um, on site. We like to get boots on the ground. So our very first one, which is actually available for everyone to listen to, is the Bell Witch Cave from October. And this past one, the New Orleans one, I actually was able to go down to New Orleans. So you get a few uh, personal stories. Yeah. And the inventions that we talked about, we use in daily life. Unfortunately, neither of us have war animals. So um, unfortunately, no I don't have there. war animals, no. And... You get to hear about Emily's hams My if you hams. listen to our bonus episode. And you'll know what that so. means when you listen. <laughs> <laughs> you have to listen. You gotta listen. Five dollars a month. 
and we have some uh some fun things coming up well not coming up it'll probably be a while but we have some interesting things happening um that we're super excited for can't wait for those things to happen i can't wait till Um, it happens and we can tell y'all what's going on got big things happening (laughs) i'm like giddy about it i know i'm super excited i'm like oh my gosh this is actually happening (laughs) so we i didn't think this would happen for like a year at least of us being a podcast but look at us sometimes i look at our reviews and i look at like how many people are listening and i'm like people listen to us people think we're cool (laughs) oh my gosh Listen, I didn't even think my kids thought I was cool. They do not. Listen. <laughs> called me bro the other day. So I think I've leveled up. Because <laughs> on the uh, that crumble cookie trip where I ended up eating a hot honey cookie, I was talking to my son about the different flavors. And I was like, hey, buddy, they don't have the same flavors every time. So I don't know which ones they're going to have. And he went, bro, they've always got chocolate. <laughs> and I was like, did you call me bro just now? I mean, he's not wrong. He's not I'm wrong. sure they always have chocolate. <laughs> By God, they did have a chocolate when he went, I want that one. Thank you. <laughs> That is so funny. Bro, they always have chocolate. And he said it like I was the dumbest person on earth. (laughs) Maybe I didn't level up. (laughs) No, that that wasn't a that wasn't a a bro. That was a bro. Bro. (laughs) Bro. That was a bro. Definitely definitely not the cool not winning the cool mom awards over here. You're a cool mom to me. Thank you. <laughs> we do like to joke that you're like our our adopted daughter when we go out as a family and you're just like here fifth wheeling it over here in the middle between the kids in the back seat. It's fine. Yeah, and I just I just sit there, I hang out with yeah. the kids and they ask me questions and they think silly, you're great. Like, yeah. They think you're great. It's cuz I leave. Yeah. They're tired of my face. <laughs> Like every day we play the game high, low at dinner and we ask them what their high for the day was and what their low for the day was. They don't have to have a low, but you know, we like to ask. And 99% of the time they say their high is dad coming home. Not a single mention of me. And Nick has started going, well, what was your, wasn't your high, your mom picking you up from school today? And they're like, yeah, I guess that too. <laughs> Like, that feels so sincere, children. Thank you. Yeah. When you're around each other almost 24-7 for six, five to six years, you're not as exciting anymore. No. No. It's, uh, Nick's always like, well, do you, I don't want the kids to go stay the night at so-and-so's house. And I'm like, could they, though? Like, (laughs) I I would like one night of a break. That would be nice. Yeah. 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 But I understand. He works a lot, so he doesn't get to see him as much as I do. He wants to see them. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Thank goodness they like to go hang out with him in the garage. I just go back upstairs. I'm like, I'm going to take an hour. I'm going to take an hour. I'll be back. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. Okay, bye. Uh, we should probably let you say some yeah. words and let them go. So, you know, if you can't domesticate an animal, tame it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But be responsible, you know. Don't We don't need no, no more invasive yeah. species anywhere. And be safe. Don't get rabies. Don't try to fight bobcats. No, don't. <laughs> or kangaroos. Or boar. Hogs. No. Don't. God, don't. Don't do that. Um, hug, hug, hug a dog or cat uh, if is you this want like, and just appreciate. Is this like one of those commercials where they're like, have you hugged your children today? Have you hugged your dog today? <laughs> do you appreciate the, the thousands of years that have culminated in this very moment? For my fat pit bull, I do appreciate it. Or my, my tiny sissy chihuahua. I appreciate every moment. <laughs> My crackhead of a mutt. <laughs> she is a crackhead. She's sweet, though. Very sweet. She mi- no, no brain. She might look like she got put together at the dog factory on a Friday at 5 p.m. with leftover parts from other dogs that don't match, but damn it, she's sweet. <laughs> she might have one ear that goes so straight, nice. one ear that goes to the left. <laughs> I feel like we should put pictures of our dogs on Facebook, and our we can and my that. cat, your lord's my lord. I, I did cat. take a picture of him laying on the kid's like backpack, and he is as wide as the backpack when he lays down. <laughs> so I will send that to you. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the width, him thick, and I it's, want to it's a it. butt pic too. It's like from the back, so it's perfect. His <laughs> lord ass, his hands. I love it. <laughs> Hams. Hams. Got them hams. Them hams. Okay. Okay. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. bye.